It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Welcome to quantum number 122. And let's begin with a little bit of Argentinian stroke Spanish excitement. That was, of course, Diego Maradona in the World Cup against England, scoring what many people to consider to be the best goal ever. Uh, just four minutes after he had scored one of the worst goals ever in the infamous Hand of God incident. It's looking dangerous. That's a poor clearance. Maradona with Shilton. Looked like handball, that. Maradona celebrating, and the goal's going to be given. Shilton furious, and so is Peter Reid. And the England manager, Bobby Robson, can't believe it. Well, Madonna, Maradona has died, age 60. Um, lots of headlines about what a genius he was. I think what I want to just say is what a sad waste of a life. Absolutely brilliant footballing genius, but utterly ruined by his self-indulgence, by cocaine and drink. I think, I think he had eight children at least by several different women. Um, as he said himself in an Arge, to an Argentine television channel in 2014, do you know the player I could have been if I hadn't taken drugs? But you did take drugs. And you wasted that phenomenal talent. Uh, there's another talent um, that uh, is in great need just now, and that is the locust hunter. Uh, listen to this. There is no other species on the planet that responds as quickly and as dramatically to the good times as the desert locust. Eggs that have remained in the ground for 20 years begin to hatch. The young locusts are known as hoppers, for at this stage they're flightless. They find new feeding grounds by following the smell of sprouting grass. Now, an adult locust eats its entire body weight every day. Good rains have boosted the number of insects 8,000-fold in areas, particularly in Ethiopia and Somalia. But it's not all bad news. I mean, huge numbers. I mean, they can spread up to 40 kilometers, but and they travel 150 kilometers at night or at a time in a day. But armed with drones, night vision equipment and chemicals, an elite Israeli fighting unit has uh, gone to Ethiopia, gone to the Horn of Africa to fight the locust plague. I just think that is absolutely wonderful. Yoav uh, Mortro, who has a reputation as one of the world's top locust slayers. I mean, imagine that uh, on your CV. You're a locust slayer, one of the world's top locust slayers. And what they do is they track these swarms, as which we've said, which can be the size of towns, and they use surveillance drones to do that. And then when the locusts settle to rest, the team that are kitted out with night vision systems swoop in to exterminate them with chemicals. I think that's just great. It sounds like the the sound of a heavy metal band, Locust Slayer. Uh, speaking of heavy metal, 
here's another one. That is a band called System of a Down, who are American-Armenian. And that was them playing in a concert in Armenia. They, uh, you may not have heard of them, but they've sold over 40 million albums. They've had three number ones on Billboard. For those of you who are into metal, and I'm sure that's many of you, um, you, you know who they are. But they've recently reformed uh, to help promote awareness of the attacks against the Armenian people again. And I, I want to do that. I want to help people in the West. The little that I can do, I think the more of us that are talking about it, the better, because what is going on is awful. So let me give you two examples. And it's great that so many of you contact me. And uh, I think, for example, of a couple of Armenians who are actually my mechanics, uh, not my mechanics for my car fleet, I have one car, but they're the mechanics who I go to. And they were really upset the last time I was there. Um, they were telling me about a 90-year-old man who had his ears cut off and was then killed. And there are other Armenians in, in church on Sunday. I, I prayed for the Armenians and there was a lady came up to me and she was in tears because she's Armenian. And she said that, you know, people in the West don't care about us. Someone else wrote to me and, and thanked us for the, for the article I'd written on Christian Today, which you can get the link on the blog, and uh, giving me further information. So we are witnessing a modern-day cultural genocide purely because it reminds the Azeris of Armenian culture and creed. In Artsakh, which is what the Armenians call Nagorno-Karabakh, there are around 92 churches and monasteries with an average age of 7th century dating. Starting from the year 2001, Armenians have built 14 churches. Well, I'll leave you to guess what is happening to many of those churches just now. Please continue to pray for Armenia and continue to expose the Azeris' war crimes with the help of their Turks and their hired jihadi fighters. This is happening on the doorstep of Europe. The toxicity of our city, of our city. Honey on the world, honey on this Okay, um, this is a, a song, well, you'll see why I'm going to play it, but let's see if you recognize this. Bangkok, oriental city, and the city don't know what the city is kept. The creme de la creme of the chess world in a show with everything but Yule Brynner. Time flies, doesn't seem a minute since the Tyrolean Spa had the chess bars in it. All change, don't you know that when you play at this level there's no ordinary venue? It's Iceland, or the Philippines, or Hastings, or, or this place. One night in that is, of course, from the musical Chess, One Night in Bangkok. 
And I want to link those two themes together. First of all, in Bangkok, King Maha Vajralongkorn. Now, I'm not sure I pronounced that correct, but if you are one of the Thai listeners to this show, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know how I should say it. But King Maha, I'm going to call him. He is being targeted in a show of defiance by Bangkok anti-royalists who are protesting at the Ladawan Palace, a sprawling 19th century Italianate mansion in the Dusit Parliamentary District. And it, they're targeting that because it houses the Thai King's Crown Property Bureau. And the Thai King is the richest monarch in the world with a personal wealth of between 30 and 46 billion US dollars. Lots of it tax-free. Now, it's going to be fascinating seeing what happens in Thailand. But, you know, that, that also got me thinking about you know, people are protesting against that. But I wonder how many people are protesting against Elon Musk, who now with his electric cars and so on, is worth 95 billion. Or Jeff Bezos of Amazon, 136 billion. I think in one week during the pandemic, 13 billion was added, billion, not million, was added to his personal wealth. I just think there's something obscene with that. Just something obscene. Tell the readers of life how it feels and to be a girl among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. But also we did play the song from the musical Chess and that's because I want to talk about the best TV series I've seen since the West Wing. Creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Or for that matter, genius and madness. The Queen's Gambit on Netflix is brilliant. Now, a warning, um, it contains drug scenes, alcohol and so on. Um, being Netflix, it's as woke as can be and uh, there is nudity and so on. But actually, going by today's standards, is not that bad. And the series itself, I regard as absolutely brilliant. I, I just thought it's a tremendous story. I love the book, by the way. Um, and, I mean, I love chess. If you don't love chess, I think you could still love this series. But I think the story is superb. Um, chess, as it says, is beautiful. And genius and madness go together. And that brings us back to Maradona because genius and madness and alcoholism and drug abuse. Now, spoiler alert, the brilliant Anya Taylor-Joy, who's the actress who plays the lead, um, it, it, it turns out okay at the end, you know, it's not like Maradona. But I, I thought as a series, it portrayed human weakness, the effect of human sinfulness, and yet so much that was good as well. Um, I, I, as I say, I just, just absolutely loved it. All right, let's move on to um, talking about Victorian intolerance. Now, the state of Victoria, well, the good news from a COVID point of view is they've been COVID-free and the, and the border between New South Wales and, and Victoria is open. Well, my colleague Steve McAlpine, who has an excellent book out about being the bad guys, uh, highly recommended, by the way, 
has written a, a superb article on the Victorian government introducing restrictive legislation under the cover of banning conversion therapy. Now, as Steve shows, and also the Baptist minister in Melbourne, one of the Baptist ministers, Murray Campbell, he's also got an excellent article on his blog about it. The anti-conversion therapy thing is a Trojan horse because nobody does the kind of conversion therapy that everybody's against. But this is a way of attacking anyone who holds to biblical teaching. So me, for example, I believe what Jesus says about marriage is between a man and a woman, not between two women or two men. I believe that God created us male and female. I don't think that we can change in that. And, and I believe adultery is wrong. And I believe that sex outside marriage is wrong and lots of different things like that. Every time I've been involved in church, there are people who are... Um, homosexual who've been part of that church and we've got on fine because for me it's the same as people who are heterosexual that we you, you don't have to have sex in order to have a, a full life I, personally i don't use or try or encourage what's called conversion therapy but i'm still going to teach the bible's view on sex and sexuality and as far as I can see from the Victorian legislation, I could go to jail for that. Now that is astonishing. And by the way, the, as, as Steve says, this is one of the things he says, and it is really a superb article. The clear tactic is to pressure religious groups to self-censor when it comes to speaking about matters around sexual ethics. And with penalties of thousands of dollars and jail terms up to 10 years, who wouldn't think twice about preaching Romans 1 or indeed Genesis 1 and 2? However, you can change your gender. Yeah. Can't challenge terms of sexuality, but you can change your gender. Um, listen to this really, really sad clip. Now, I need, I need to explain what it is. It's in a church. It's in the US. And uh, these two women are coming up with a four-year-old boy. And, and listen what happens. Today, we choose to recognize, honor, love, and celebrate Anyone here who would claim their identity publicly as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, intersex, pansexual, asexual, or any category that I've left out. This is Phoenix. I just want to tell them that I'm a girl. Okay, you can tell them that. <laughs> okay. Phoenix would like you to know that she's a girl and she prefers she and her pronouns. May you be well, safe, and whole. We honor you exactly as you are. That's a four-year-old boy called Phoenix standing up in church to say he wants to become a girl. And um, you, you'll notice how people were welcomed as queer and questioning and the whole list and they couldn't even go through the whole list. And then, may you be well, safe, and whole. We honour you exactly as you are. I regard that as a form of child abuse. Who put those ideas into that four years old's head? You know, I, I know very small kids who want to be cats. Or, you know, who think they're dinosaurs. Really? Are, are, we, are we just going to say, well, that's fine. Let, let them be whatever they want to be. Now, back in the UK, there's a bit of good news about this. There's a transgender man who's lost his legal battle 
to be registered as his child's father. In other words, this is a woman who decided she wanted to be a man, then stopped taking hormone treatment, a guy called Freddie McConnell, freelance journalist who, of course, works for The Guardian. This woman gave birth in 2018 because women give birth, men don't give birth, okay? This is biology 101. And he wanted to challenge to say that he should be known as the father of the child. No, he's not. If father and mother have any meaning at all, then a woman who gives birth cannot be known as the father. And thankfully, although Stonewall are furious about this, they are, uh, he lost his case. Now, um, a bit of sad news that's just come in as, I, as I'm recording this is, what, what, this happened a while ago, but it's just become public. Meghan Markle has spoken of her uh, grief and sorrow at having a miscarriage. And there are a lot of us who can empathise with that. One in four pregnancies, known pregnancies, end up with miscarriages. It is a traumatic and a horrible experience. And I applaud her for speaking about it. And although I don't share in the general well, because Megan speaks about it, everyone else will speak about it. Nonetheless, I think it is really good that um, this issue, awareness of this issue is raised. However, it also struck me at the absolute hypocrisy of so many people. Megan says this, I knew I was, she's writing in the New York Times, and the New York Times, supreme hypocrites. I knew as I was clutching my firstborn child, I was losing my second. Notice, she wasn't losing a fetus, not even a baby. She's losing her child. Now, here's the thing. If she had aborted the child, the New York Times would have praised her for doing that. Does nobody see the, the incongruence and the irrationality of that? All right. Uh, what upsets you? This is extraordinary. Jordan Peterson is having a new book published. Uh, Penguin Random House uh, are publishing it. It's going to be Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life. It'll be released in March 2021. Uh, I'm buying it. But some of the staff at Penguin... <laughs> Random house employees. Now, th these are grown adults, I'm assuming many of them with a university education, who are employed by a book publishing company and they are weeping. They were crying, apparently, at a town hall meeting uh, in Canada last Monday um, <laughs> because Penguin House are publishing this by Jordan Peterson. Oh, grow up. Speaking of crying, uh, I've been looking at some football chants. This is one of my favourite football songs.
Now, for those of you who don't know the glorious Hibernian, sorry, you heart of Midlothian football fans in Edinburgh, in Scotland, uh, that was them singing after winning the 2016 Scottish Cup final. I think the first time in 100 years they'd won. And the song they're singing doesn't exactly sound like a, a celebratory song. It's a uh, from the Proclaimers. It's called Sunshine on Leith. And it talks about sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. I, I love it. Maybe they're doing it ironically, but I just love it. But what I love is the fact that it's actually a Christian song. Why am I worth my room on this earth? Thank you, they're saying to God. Thank you. Thank you. I, it, it's, I just, it's just lovely. Uh, let's do a bit of other news before we go. COVID news. Sweden is seeing an increase in cases, as is the rest of Europe. But interestingly, Finland and Norway are now adopting Sweden's approach. Churches are, there was an article in The Guardian about churches breaking lockdown. Um, one pastor told The Observer, we've been holding clandestine services since this lockdown began. It felt weird for us to act this way. People have said it feels more like an underground church in China. The fact that we have to sneak around to worship God in fear of criminal prosecution is alarming. But we do what we have to do. That's very interesting. There's a dilemma there. Uh, Some churches are falling over themselves to make rules that are even more ridiculous than some of the more ridiculous government rules. Others, the vast majority, are going along with the law because they believe that it is for the common good, and others think that the government have gone too far. I am not sure about a lot of this, and I think it's a much more complex subject than people realise. But I do think that we need to be extremely careful about giving the government authority not only to shut down churches, but to tell us when we can worship and how we can worship. In Scotland, you can go to a concert with 100 people, but you can't have a church with more than 50. I think that is a big mistake. And some of the rules around weddings are unbelievably pathetic. Uh, and funerals as well, and actually cruel. I think that one of the things that happens is that bureaucrats just like making more and more rules. They think they can cure things by rules. Well, I don't think that's true. On the other hand, I don't think that churches that, that go against the civil authorities or feed into conspiracy theories are really helping things. Is there not a kind of Common sense, middle ground. I'm going to leave you with this song. It's Bob Dylan's song, Blowing in the Wind. Uh, I, I'm not sure you could cope with me going out with Mr. Dylan's nasally tones. And actually, there is a much better version of the song, and that's what you're hearing just now. Peter, Paul and Mary's. How many roads must a man walk down? Now, why am I mentioning this song? Apart from the fact it's a great song. A collection of Bob Dylan memorabilia, including letters, unpublished writing, and handwritten relics, have sold for nearly half a million dollars at auction. And they included the lyrics to this song, Blowing in the Wind. Uh, The auction house said that 
Its client, and I'll bet you this is true, was thrilled with the prices fetched. I, I do think Dylan is a poet and, you know, the lyrics of this song are just superb. How many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? Yes, and how many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? Yes, and how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Well, I, I, I want to encourage us to look up. But to look up not at the sky, nor even at the mountains, but to look to Christ. Dylan goes on, how many years can a mountain exist before it's washed to the sea? Yes, and how many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head pretending he just doesn't see? Oh, those are just, for me, those are some of the greatest lyrics ever. And they're a, a cry to us as Christians. People are to be free. Freedom is found in Christ. People are blind. Pretending, we pretend, and, and we perhaps we, we don't see. But we need to see. We need to know. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, trying to help you, give you information, encourage you to think for yourself uh, and look at what's going on in the world. If you'd like to support it, then please feel free to do so on the Podbean fundraiser. If you've got any feedback and information, please pour it into me. I am so sorry I can't use all that I get. Uh, Thanks to those of you who do. It's really encouraging. It's really helpful. Uh, See you next week. God bless you. And I hope you have a great week. Must a mountain exist before it is washed to the sea? How many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? How many times can a man turn his head and pretend that he just doesn't see the answer my friend is blowing in the wind the answer is blowing in the wind how many times must a man look up before he can see the sky how one man have before he can hear people cry how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died the answer my friend is blowing in the wind the answer is is blowing in the wind.